This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is hit well in a center field. That one's carrying out at center. It's out of here! Oh, Johnny with a pinch hit home run. At the plate is Mike Trout. The pitch on its way. It's blasted out to dead center field. Out of here. Ball gets away. He's going to break for the plate. Ball game is over. The Angels with a walk-off win here in the bottom of the ninth inning. This is the Angels Recap Podcast, a review of the past week in Angels baseball. Here's your host, Trent Rush. What's going on, everybody? My name is Trent Rush. Welcome to the Angels Recap Podcast. Look, this has been a really tough week uh, for lots of people. And, uh, you know, going back to what happened this past Sunday with that helicopter crash in Calabasas, taking the lives of nine people, including Kobe and Gianna Bryant, and, uh, just the devastation that has happened uh, in that time. I-, I think it'd be hard to have a pure baseball show without talking a little bit about um, Kobe's impact in Orange County and, and what he meant to Angels baseball. He was a present person when it came uh, to Angels baseball. I mean, we would see him at games. The baseball community was also crushed as well with the passing of John Altabelli, the head baseball coach at Orange Coast College. And what a phenomenal ceremony they had pregame on Tuesday, uh, getting ready for that. Uh, just, just so emotional, and uh, you could see so much respect. And I loved what John's brother Tony said before that game began and it was just a beautiful message and it's the same kind of spirit that we try to have here uh, on this show and this podcast and this is Tony Altabelli the sports information director and brother of the late John Altabelli speaking before uh, Orange Coast College's opening day on Tuesday. Today is a day of remembrance and it's sad we're gonna have a lot of sad days okay Uh, season opener it's baseball it's another miserable day in Southern California. What do you say we smile for the next three hours and have some fun, okay? We'd appreciate that. Uh, obviously, with the passing of Kobe Bryant and Gianna Bryant and so many others, John Adabelli and his family and uh, the nine people on board that aircraft uh, that crashed on Sunday morning, uh, all of Southern California, all the world is... Uh, still reeling after uh, those horrible events. We are certainly keeping all those families in our thoughts and prayers. Um, we're going to have Fabian Ardaya, who wrote a piece about John Alabelli, and uh, just give us some perspective. We'll talk some Angels baseball as well. But Fabian wrote a great story, and I really want to make sure he gets to tell his perspective on that, uh, being somebody that um, was tasked with writing that story and telling that tale on Sunday. Just a, just a horrific day, a tragedy in so many ways, but uh, the Mamba mentality is to move forward, and we're certainly going to try to do that as best we can. I tell you what, I'm looking at my computer screen right now, and I am seeing Kobe wearing a red sweatshirt 
holding red thunder sticks that say, yes, we can, from game two of the 2002 World Series, sitting next to his wife, Vanessa, watching the Angels. Remember that game in 2002? That was the game the Angels won 11-10. to Tim Salmon hits the two home runs, including that big one in the bottom of the eighth inning. Angels going to win that game. Bonds answers and hits that home run off of Percival that everyone says went on the 57 freeway in the ninth inning of that game. But the Angels end up hanging on and getting the victory. Uh, just crazy to think about that in that win over the Giants uh, in Game 2 of the 2002 World Series. And, and Kobe was here for that. Yeah, Kobe was such a big part of the Orange County lifestyle. I know a lot of people have talked about he is L.A., and, and he is, and he was. And you know what he meant to the Lakers, what he meant to Los Angeles, what he meant to the NBA, it was huge. But as being somebody that... Was born and raised in Anaheim. I grew up. I grew up in Orange County, and you know, basically, my most formative years of being a child fan were right when Kobe's era was beginning. And I feel like I grew up with Kobe as my favorite basketball player, and getting a chance to watch him from the very beginning of his career. And uh, being just old enough to understand uh, the significance of Kobe coming into the NBA and seeing everything since. Kobe was such a staple in Orange County. Kobe was around often. I, I mean, I saw that there were flowers and balloons set up earlier this week. I actually saw it earlier today at the grocery store that Kobe used to go to in Newport Coast. And he was out and about all the time. I mean, I can't tell you how many friends would see him all over the place, whether it be at Disneyland, whether it be, you know, at Starbucks, whether he worked out all the time at UC Irvine at the Bren Center. And UC Irvine assistant coach Ryan Battertelli was one of the guys that helped him prepare during the heart of his career for a decade. He loved college basketball, maybe more so because he never played college basketball. I remember seeing Kobe at the 2016 West Regional at Honda Center. I mean, he'd go to Honda Center regularly. He'd, he'd go to see the Ducks, and he also went to go see like college basketball like this. The NCAA Tournament, Oklahoma was playing in that, and he wanted to see Buddy Heald in that event. And you know, They ended up beating Oregon in the Elite Eight to get to the uh, Final Four. And, you know, Duke was there, and obviously Kobe's ties with Mike Krzyzewski ran really deep. And you know, I just think about him just being active and being present and being a part of Orange County in so many ways, and, and him making his life here in OC. A Philly kid comes to California, and you know, when everybody else is living up in Los Angeles, Kobe Kobe wanted to be here in OC, and, and why not? We can uh, certainly understand that, but he was just such a big part of the culture. Uh, uh, yes, in Los Angeles, yes, around the world, and in, in the NBA, but I, I think you know, in Orange County, I think OC claims Kobe Bryant as well. He was the biggest star in our town. And um, he is gone. And it has been just a, a devastating past couple of days, like I said at the top of the show. I mean, it, it, how could it only be Tuesday right now? It feels like you know this week has gone on forever. It has been a really tough week. Um, and I think about Kobe's ties to the Angels. And I, I think back to the time, was it, uh, it must, yeah, it was that 2016 season when out at spring training, we see Kobe meet with several Angels players in a game in Phoenix when the Angels are at spring training. And Jared Weaver posted this picture, Garrett Richards in that photo, uh, with Mike Trout. Also, Tyler Skaggs. 
was in that photo. And I know that this week has brought up uh, some of Skaggs' memory uh, because of, you know, Tyler's love for Kobe Bryant and the Lakers. And, uh, you know, just, I mean, you're talking about two people in that photo gone way too soon. Mike Trout put on Twitter, quote, my heart and prayers go out to the Bryant family and the passengers' families on this sad day. The impact Kobe had on the world could not be expressed in words RIP to a legend and a friend. That's Mike Trout on Twitter. Nick Hamilton of Nightfall Media spoke with Mike Trout about Kobe in the spring of 2016 as Kobe was getting ready uh, to wrap up his career and asked Mike about Kobe and um, his thoughts on Kobe Bryant's greatness. Kobe's unbelievable. Um, Ambassador of the game. Uh, Just the way he handles himself on the court. uh, You can just tell he's better than everybody it's uh it's pretty it's pretty cool you know turn on uh you know ESPN to see him every night and uh you know now, now that's his last year it's uh you know it's, it's tough for me and tough to for basketball fans to you know put that in perspective but um you know he's doing what's right for him and he's gonna definitely enjoy his career after basketball um but uh, I can't thank him enough for whatever he, all the things he's done for the game it's uh he, he meant a lot to me and a lot to his fans we also saw a social media reaction from albert pujols who posted a photo with kobe bryant on instagram saying wow what a loss for us all i enjoyed the times we were able to connect with kobe over the years my prayers go out to his beautiful family at kobe bryant hashtag heavy heart I tell you, as much as it hurts to lose someone like Kobe Bryant, I just can't stop thinking about his daughter Gianna and really all three young girls aboard that helicopter. The Altobelli family with father John Altobelli, the head baseball coach at Orange Coast College for 28 years, and his wife Carrie on board that helicopter, his daughter Alyssa aboard that helicopter, the teammate of Gigi Bryant. Uh, I think about Christina Mosser, the mom who was a coach aboard that flight and what she meant uh, to the basketball world and to her family, to a mother and daughter, Sarah Chester and Peyton Chester. Uh, just devastating to hear that. And, and the pilot losing his life as well. Arazobion. There's a lot to say about this tragedy. There's a lot that's been said about it. Fabian Ardaya of The Athletic, Angels beat writer, I thought wrote a tremendous piece available online at the athletic and, and the athletic made their Kobe coverage free of charge as they did, uh, or as did, uh, the orange County register and Southern California news group, which I, I mean, it's absolutely the right thing to do. Also a tough thing to do, but Fabian's piece on John Alabelli, the orange coast college baseball coach was outstanding. And we have Fabian here in studio with us now, Fabian, I'm curious about your perspective of going down to OCC uh, that Sunday and learning about John Adabelli and learning about the loss of a legend. Um, what can you tell us about him, and, and what were some of the things uh, you learned that day about this man? Yeah, like I'll be honest. like I hadn't been to Orange Coast College before. I mean, I moved out here like 18 months ago when I got this job, so I didn't grow up out here. I didn't know the impact he had. The name had been familiar just because, obviously, he'd been connected everywhere in baseball, Cape Cod League, Alaska League, all these college summer leagues that some of the guys I had covered at Arizona State had gone to. But I didn't I didn't know the guy. I had never spoken to him. And just when the news with Kobe's passing happened, uh, I obviously was home, um, and I immediately thought of what had happened with Tyler Skaggs uh, just because of his relationship with Kobe and everything like that. But uh, as soon as I saw John Altabelli's name come out there and I see that there's players going out 
to Orange Coast College. I mean, there was nothing official, but like you see these players coming together. I just sort of knew how to be there. I, my, I talked to my editor. My editor wanted me there too. I made it out there, and I just you sort of get blown away by the fact that you have this guy who's been at this program for nearly three decades now, and he have guys from his first team and from his current team all together being able to talk and share a lot of the same sort of stories about this guy who really he gave a lot of second chances junior college baseball is a lot about those second chances guys who either didn't work out a division one program they're transfer again trying to bounce back or they didn't get their shot in the first place and they're trying to get that shot and get noticed by professional scouts and he was the guy who brought them there and was able to push them forward um and i think uh, i talked to someone jeff nelson who was someone he had who had coached him when he was a kid. I mean, he was a little bit older than him, grew up in the same area, or uh, Newport Beach, Newport Harbor High School. Grew up in the same area, so knew him basically forever, and he basically put it, I think, perfectly. I mean, baseball ends for everyone someday, but he was best at extending what that someday was, and I think that really rung true with me with John. And John's brother is the sports information director. I know that that is somebody you talked with uh, when you went there on Sunday to have that conversation um, to the best of your ability, how could you describe what that was like talking with him and, and how he handled just what I would imagine is an onslaught of media requests? Uh, it was surreal. I mean, there was, I mean, there was cameras there that he was helping handle, making sure they have this, the facts correct. He was doing the job as, as an SID while you could sort of see in his eyes like some of the grief, and naturally so. I mean, this is something that's unimaginable to even lose a brother like that. And then to have to work immediately to make sure all the stuff was correct. And then he was talking to me, and he's like, all right, uh, thanks, I appreciate you taking the time, but I have to go write the story. And yeah. he has, like, he, for him to say that, he sort of like t- stopped for a moment. He's like, it's pretty heavy, I know, but like it, this is what he had to do. And this was, and he was a part of this Orange Coast County, uh, Orange Coast College program for 14 years now working as the SID. He's been around this program and saw firsthand obviously what his brother was able to do and he was connected to these players and he was able to relate with them obviously for losing someone like john but also losing a brother like that orange coast college a powerhouse for those familiar with college baseball here in southern california and at the junior college level uh, occ really in many ways was the gold standard and uh, john alabelli's program was that in so many ways 2019 state championship abca national coach of the year just this past year um when you talk about the impact when it comes to baseball for John Aldebelli, there are a lot of names that are involved, but did you get a sense of the kind of person that he was and the impact he had on so many? Absolutely. I mean, when he first passed, obviously you hear from like the Jeff McNeils, uh, hear about the stories about him talking about coaching Aaron, Ju- Aaron Judge in the Cape Cod League, uh, all these guys who have made it to the future in the big leagues, even a guy who made it through Orange Coast College, like a Book Powell, you think about those guys. But the guys that really stuck out to me were the guys that sort of there was this guy who was a walk on uh, with him. He's like I did, I had I wanted to keep playing, and he was the only person who would give me a shot. And then there's guys who I talked to who basically they this was their last chance. They sort of blew their first chance. They wanted another second chance. They wanted another opportunity, and John was the person to give it to them. And they sort of recognized that. But also, I mean, just. It's more than just baseball, from what I could tell, from what he was able to provide with them. It's just sort of principles of how to treat people, how to be a better man, be a better person. And I think um, one of his players put it best to me, saying, 
basically we came here to play baseball and we left better people. And I think that's sort of, especially at this level, that's always what you look for in a coach. And I think he embodied that perfectly. Yeah, I know that, I mean, knowing what I know about Kobe and, and having some mutual friends of Kobe, um, <laughs> he wasn't friends with somebody that was not a champion. That was not someone that believed in greatness. So obviously, uh, John Altabelli, uh, in so many ways, would have represented that uh, in Kobe's mind anyway, to have that kind of relationship uh, with somebody like that. And, and you bring up Jeff McNeil. It's an interesting one. I remember covering Dirtbag Baseball. I was I did their play-by-play for a season. And I remember covering Jeff McNeil in college and really not thinking all that much of Jeff McNeil. He was not a like surefire great hitter. Uh, a great baseball player at the uh, college game at Long Beach State and then ends up being, at least in terms of batting average, one of the best hitters in the National League. So it's kind of crazy uh, to see that. But obviously, uh, John Aldebelli's, um impact on so many people and what he did as, as a family man, too, uh, clearly uh, is a significant part of this story. And Fabian, uh, seriously, thank you for doing a story like that as somebody that is a fan of Kobe and somebody that is mourning as a member of this Orange County community. Sunday was about as hard a day as I can remember. So seriously, just thank you for for writing that piece and and giving us another perspective and another side of just a terribly tragic story. Yeah, I think that story also gave a little bit more of a light into Kobe as well. I mean, you sort of you, Kobe could have just been another parent, uh, another parent of a basketball player, and he, that would, the stories would have been just as glowing. How much he cared for his daughter, how much he cared for Gigi, and that story would have been just as tragic. But I mean. The relationship with him and John John Altabelli could have just been that, but John Altabelli had Kobe out to OCC practices. He came out and spoke to the team. They that was not the first time John Altabelli rode that helicopter with Kobe Bryant. I mean, you could sort of see his ability to connect with people. And I think that was the big part of what I took from this is that his story, John Altabelli's story can't be forgotten in this. I know that he'll always be connected with Kobe Bryant. He'll always be connected with the other eight people who were on that flight who lost their lives. But, I mean, his story and his impact, I mean, it's going to go beyond, obviously, what he was able to do in his 56 years. Shifting gears, and there is no easy way to do this, but, Fabian, while we have you here, I do want to talk about this Angels organization and what this – uh, what this club has done this offseason so far. There have been several moves. I know a, a lot of Angels fans have been asking for the pitching to improve. You're on Twitter. I see the tweets all the time, Fabian. And, um, you know, the, the ace, at least to this point, has not happened. That frontline guy hasn't happened. But how much, in your opinion, do you think Billy Epler has helped get this starting rotation to at least a point where the Angels can contend? I think what he's been able to do with his offseason season with this rotation is first of all he's at least given it stability which is something that especially last year down that stretch you sort of saw a lot of young pitchers who were up a little bit earlier or a lot earlier than expected in some cases Mm -hmm. that got overexposed in a lot of different ways you asked a lot out of Jaime Berea a lot out of Patrick Sandoval Jose Suarez and then out of Griffin Canning before you shut him down for the year there's so much that was asked for these young pitchers that it put them in a negative position that possibly all hindered their development a little bit. Uh, that's not going to be the case this year with with some of these moves, at least on paper, with Dylan Bundy coming in, Julio Tehran. They aren't necessarily going to be your aces, your opening day starters. They're not going to necessarily make a giant impact as far as that elite-level talent that you need to push forward. 
but there's a certain level of competency or durability that is so valuable in pitching and that the Angels have lacked for a while. And I think it they've at least improved what the rotation's sort of floor will be going into 2020, and I think that's going to be a big thing for this ro- roster and this lineup. And they still have, obviously, the ability to make moves. I mean, trades, a lot of the trade market's still available for starting pitching. It might be heating up now, even though it's a couple weeks before spring training, but it might be starting to heat up now. A lot of those names are still out there. I know they didn't get any of the big free agent starters, but they still can make trades happen. They still have some of those tougher, the upper level of that farm system. Probably not a Joe Adele, but pretty much everyone besides that that they could have at their disposal and include in the trade. Yeah, and there has been, uh, at least recently in the last couple of weeks, some more promise when it comes to prospects and at least uh, the way they are perceived nationally in some of the rankings. Uh, Brandon Marsh takes a big jump. Saw Deshaun Knowles was on uh, one of the most uh, recent lists as well in the top 101. Uh, But you brought up something interesting, Fabian, about the guys last year like the Jose Suarez and the Jaime Berea's and even the Sandoval's and Canning's put into a spot that maybe was a bit premature for them. And that can hinder development, absolutely. But do you think that there's a sense that sometimes for when a player goes through something like that, to get through it, to get that experience, can be something that can be turned into positive for them? Yes, I think it's a very thin line between having it be something that they can tangible evidence of what they can build on keep improving and then rooting their confidence i think there's certain guys obviously you saw like a jose suarez for example he's working on pitch tipping throughout the course of the season that is really difficult to fix in the middle of the season so having an entire and to do it at the big league level yes yes yeah. while you're already trying to process all these different things at 21 years old yeah. that's really really hard to do uh but to have an off season where he can sort of know what that experience was at the big league level try to adapt his game and try to improve i think that he that jose suarez i can expect to start from a lot better level than where he finished his 2019 season i think that's gonna be a big thing for him and also just knowing that you're not going to be asked to go out there and start every fifth day probably if you're jose suarez you have they have a rotation that seems like it's pretty much in place as it is right now i mean obviously they can still make moves and change things but where you're not going to ask a lot from the Suarez, from the Sandoval, from the Bereas, they're going to be the type of guys where you can bring them up for a start, but also they can keep focusing on that development AAA. And obviously going up and down can have a negative impact sometimes. We saw that with Jaime Berea last year. Yeah. But also, you know they're not, you're not asking them to be, in that, be forced into that position. If they're going to be in the big league rotation, it's because they've earned their way up there and it'll be something that's a little bit more consistent. You don't have to ask people to do what they're not necessarily at a level to do yet which was a problem for the angels last year talking with fabian ardaya of the athletic fabian um for shohei otani it's going to be i am very interested to see what 2020 will be for shohei obviously we saw him with a full season or most of a full season as a hitter last year and i i do get the impression while there's nothing confirmed nothing said it does feel like the angels are going to take otani slow in his recovery from tommy john as a pitcher in your mind what kind of expectation do you have for what shohei otani can be in 2020 I don't think we'd expect a full season from him on the mound. Not because he's not capable of doing it whatever, but just because of historical workload, what that would mean taxing-wise on his body. Uh, he hasn't thrown 100-plus innings since 2016. I mean, he's had Tommy John surgery in that time. He's had knee surgery in that time, ankle surgery in that time. 
there's going to be a little bit of time for him to build that back up and define what that right balance is. He had his schedule that worked in the MPB. They're, they're going to keep probably keep trying to do that in Major League Baseball. But, I mean, just you can't expect a full season's workload from him, and especially with some of how the rules are going to work this year. Uh, I know Billy Epler said that Shohei Otani is be able to do rehab assignments and bat in big league games the very next day. So you don't have to worry about putting him on the injured list and losing his bat from the lineup if yeah. you're going to slow play his rehab, which is a big thing. Having that two-way player designation where you can have you can roster him but not worry about being a pitcher down the entire time. And when he is healthy, you have an extra pitcher. Like, all those things sort of line up for him, them to sort of slow play him and being able to sort of manage his innings fr- by f- the front half of it and not yeah. having to worry about him burning innings in April and May that maybe you would want from him in September or October and have him focus on being a hitter, then trying to see how what the right balance is. And I think also part of how the rotation's been built, focusing on having a lot of people who can eat those innings in Bundy and Tehran helps that as well. You don't have to worry about having, okay, it's going to be April and May, we're going to need to find innings somewhere, we're going to have to yeah. throw Berea, we're going to have to throw Suarez, throw Sandoval. They're in a position where they feel like they're in a, they can sort of manage Shohei on the right amount of schedule and sort of map out what his season will look like and being able to control that a little bit better. Yeah, I tend to agree with you, Fabian. I'd like to see him over 100 innings, I don't, but I don't see 200 as being something. I no, think it's no. going to be a, a lot closer to 100 than 200 for Shohei Otani. I, I think uh, you also bring up a good point there. You want Shohei Otani to be at his best at the end of the season because if you're looking at this Angels roster and this pitching staff and everything going into this coming season to see this team as a contender for a wild card spot I think is very real and maybe maybe I'm crazy you can correct me if I'm wrong and maybe if if Houston ends up regressing we don't know what the Astros are going to be so maybe a chance of the division is going to be at least possible for the Angels going into September where they can try to make a run regardless should the Angels get into a wild card game Shohei Otani's got to be that guy in that game, right? And he has to be great in that game for the Angels. Absolutely, yeah. And I think, just going back to your point about the Angels possibly contending this year, I I know Billy Epler has always sort of said this. He sort of views his team's true talent, quote-unquote, as sort of like where Vegas would put the team's over-unders. And typically, if you want to at least have a chance to have things break your way, get to a within a contention for a postseason spot, you want to be between... 84 and 87 wins. I think I saw somewhere the over under for the Angels 85 and a half. Yeah. So like they're they're in about where Billy Epler I think would put them at, and also they have room to still make moves, trades, stuff like that we mentioned before. Uh, and yeah, you want to have as it stands right now, Shohei Otani is their highest upside pitcher. So obviously you want to protect him as much as possible and make sure that he's in a position where he can pitch. Obviously, you have to make sure you get there first, and that's part of the inherent risk. But part of that—that's part of increasing the floor of this rotation. I think with that floor increased by having a couple of, at the very least, league average level pitchers yeah. that are capable of eating a lot of innings, that's going to help them a lot to at least being able to trudge along in April and May before Otani and the, this team's at full strength. Fabian, last thing for me. And I have tried to explain this on the air, and I'm going to continue doing that. I think it's a big deal, a really big deal, having Mike Trout and 
Anthony Rendon potentially hitting back-to-back in this lineup with Trout's on-base ability and Rendon just being the doubles machine that he was in the National League. In your mind, just how big a deal is it for this Angels lineup to have those two together and finally some legitimate protection for Mike Trout? I think more than anything, it's just the talent in the building. You want to gain talented players. And there's a very, very short list of players who were in top three in MVP contention and joined a different team that offseason that also had a top three MVP finisher. And that's what Anthony Rendon did this offseason signing with Mike Trout. Both finished the top three in the respective MVP votings this past year. And the biggest thing I've heard, like I've seen from Angels fans and stuff like that on Twitter, is complaining on them spending their money on Anthony Rendon and they could have saved it for that level of player in the future. But what player was there going to be? There's only so many times you have a chance to sign an Anthony Rendon, and sure, you can say, oh, they should have dedicated that money to pitching, whatever. Run prevention, run scoring. I mean, that that's what matters at the end of the day. You can add as many wins as possible to your lineup. That's going to give you just as much of a chance to win as there is pitching. Yeah, there's a little bit of... You weight certain things a little bit differently. Pitching does wind up mattering at some point. But if there's a certain level of talent, a threshold of talent that you reach, where that becomes a little bit less impactful. And I think adding an Anthony Rendon to that lineup instantly just gives this lineup, basically one through nine, a level of depth that it didn't even have last year when during the first half of that season, they were arguably a top five lineup in baseball. And all of a sudden, you're going to add... A, a full season of Shohei Otani, who's healthy, who you didn't have last year because you missed him for the first month of the season. Uh, you had a full season of Anthony Rendon, and then you're expecting probably a bounce back from, say, a Justin Upton, who had sure. a lot of injury concerns last year. This lineup is a lot deeper, and then all of a sudden, also at the catching position, Jason Castro is a big offensive upgrade over Jonathan Lucroy, Kevin Smith, and Max Stassi last year. Yeah, so I, I, I tend to agree with you, Fabian. and I, I think you're spot on. I, I think that this Angels lineup uh, can be scary, scary good. And it's, it's like the Angels have completely ignored pitching. They, they have brought in a couple of arms. They're going to help. Sure, it's not that frontline guy a lot of fans have been asking for, but it's still an upgrade over what it's been. And I think the Angels uh, pitching staff, uh, the starting rotation is at least a lot closer to average uh, than they started the offseason with. Fabian, thanks so much for coming in. I know it's been a really tough week, and uh, I really appreciate you spending some time with us absolutely anytime Trent that was big time for Fabian Ardaya driving in studio uh, to come give us a little bit of perspective on that you know like we've talked about before my, my heart just aches uh, for the nine lives that were all cut way too short in that helicopter crash on Sunday morning just so devastating and and I actually think that um, MLB Network and Major League Baseball and the baseball community is doing a good job telling John Altabelli's story no one life is more valuable than another so we really do appreciate Fabian uh, telling us that story and also you know Fabian's got great angels insight too a young reporter that has done a really good job uh, stepping up into a big spot and and uh, I think he's done a great job in covering the Angels with some really cool featured stories. Uh, his piece on Joe Adele from last year I think was exceptionally good. I thought he wrote a great feature uh, after Tyler Skaggs passed away. So I encourage you uh, to check out some of Fabian's work at The Athletic. 
By the way, you guys got to find a way to get out to the Big A as often as possible this year. It's going to be amazing watching this Angels team with Anthony Rendon and Mike Trout back-to-back in this lineup. I'm already fired up for that. I want you to be here. Get a chance to see your Angels with a ticket plan. Visit angels.com slash ticket plans. It's simple. All you got to do is call 888-796-HALO to buy the best ticket package for you. Pick the games you want and don't miss out on the best seats at the best price. Visit angels.com slash ticket plans or call 888-796-HALO today. I also want to tell you about our friends at Major League Properties. Okay, you remember the name Matt Luke, played for the Angels and the Dodgers, former big leaguer? Well, the last 16 years, he has been assisting the needs of clients and families with buying, selling, and managing residential real estate. He's a broker now at Major League Properties. So if you're looking to buy, sell, lease, or get property management services, let Matt bring you home. You get all-star service for Major League results by calling Matt today. His phone number is 714 714- 412-1982. One more time. That's 714-412-1982. You can also find him online. MajorLeagueSoCal.com is his website. Matt Luke bringing experience, hard work, and integrity to real estate. Touch base with Matt, and he'll go to bat for you. That's Matt Luke at Major League Properties. We've talked about Kobe. I think rightfully so, and after what happened uh, this past Sunday and just how devastating all that was. There was another Philly connection on Saturday night in New York City. Eagles running back Brian Westbrook introduced Mike Trout at the Baseball Writers Association of America dinner in New York City, where Mike Trout was presented with his third MVP award. And here now, Brian Westbrook introducing Mike Trout. To hear that I was one of uh, Mike Trout's idols growing up makes me feel like an old, just like an old man. That's what it makes me feel like. Um, But I'm from Philly, um, and to be from Philly, you have to be gritty and tough and a hard worker. And when you see Santa Claus, you got to throw snowballs at him, too. (laughs) That's just part of being from Philly. And all of those characteristics um, are embodied by Mike Trout. Um, He does everything the coach could ask him to do, whether it's steal a base, rob another team for their home run, or hit for uh, power or for average. He gets it all done, um, and we're certainly proud of him. Um, In fact, the uh, head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, Doug Peterson, gave me a message to to give to you that if this baseball thing, your day job, does not work out, we have um, a helmet and some shoulder pads for you and hopefully um, you can come play for us. Um, 2019 was another great year for Mike. Um, He had 137 hits, 104 RBIs, and 45 um, home runs on the way to becoming one of two current players that have three uh, most valuable player titles, um, all while making Philly proud as another Philly boy to another. Um, Please help me welcome the American League Most Valuable Player, Mike Trout. Give my speech out. I think the family's over there. Hard to find you guys. Uh, good evening. Uh, I want to thank the members of the BBWAA for this tremendous honor. I want you to know I share the same appreciation and respect uh, for what you do on a daily basis as you've shown me. Uh, I want to also congratulate Alex and Marcus uh, on their great seasons this year or last year. Uh, It was fun battling against you guys, obviously being in the same division. (laughs) 
I want to congratulate each of tonight's award winners as well. Uh, it's an honor to share the same stage with such an accomplished group of individuals. The first time I attended this dinner in 2013, I remember what a humbling feeling it was. I have those same feelings now. Winning an MVP never gets old. What was important to me then remains even more important to me now. Those is that closest to me. To my beautiful wife, Jessica, um, you have no idea how thankful I'm having you in my life. Uh, thank you for sharing this amazing journey. You have always been my strength through the hard times, and um, I can't thank you enough. I love you. I want to say thank you to my mom and dad uh, for everything you've done for me along the way, uh, for all you continue to do for Tyler, Tio, and I. Uh, thank you. I want to thank my agent, Craig Landis. Craig's over there somewhere. Um, Craig's uh, never failed to execute the plan, regardless of desires of himself or others. We built a special bond over the years, and I consider him and his wife, Laura, part of our family. Also, I want to share tonight with some special friends with the Angels. Um, the my thanks to owners Artie and Carol Moreno, club president John Carpino, uh, my GM Billy Epler, and chairman Dennis Cool. I always want to say a special thanks to our PR crew as well, Adam Schatzko, uh, Matt Birch, and Grace McNamee for all they do on a daily basis for me during the season. It's very much appreciated. I've always felt receiving an award is an opportunity to say thank you and acknowledge others who have played in a role in your achievement. Thank you to all my teammates and coaches past and present, whose counsel, time, and energy have made me not just a better player, but a better person. Same for our trainers and clubbies. Um, they do a lot for us. You guys don't really see it, but um, they helped create a family environment out west through the good and challenging times. Um, lastly, I want to give a shout out to two very close friends I've lost over recent years, um, Aaron Cox and Tyler Skaggs. These last couple years have been uh, very tough emotionally, it's the toughest I've ever faced. I know you guys are watching over me every time I take that field. I think about you two every day and I miss you guys terribly. It's hard times like these that slow down and it's hard times like these that you want to slow down and remind you of the greatest blessing in life, your family and friends. These last few years have shown that just how much baseball community is like a, fa like a family to me, pulling together and supporting us through the tough times. Thank you to the entire baseball family. I'm humbled and honored to be part of it. Thank you, guys. Great stuff right there by Mike Trout. Three MVPs. Puts him in a class with some of the greatest players of all time. Only one other player has more MVPs uh, than Mike Trout, and that'd be Barry Bonds with seven, and that is all time. Nobody has more than three American League MVP awards, and maybe Mike Trout uh, becomes the first of four. Maybe he even does it in 2020. The beauty of this season, I think actually Anthony Rendon could push Mike Trout, which is going to make things uh, even more amazing. Do want to shift gears for a second to talk about what is coming up in the farm system for the Angels and what the Angels can be looking forward to in the future. Last week, we saw Baseball America put out their top 100 rankings. They had Joe Adele as a top five player, Brandon Marsh in the top 50. I am especially impressed by the growth of Brandon Marsh and the way he's developed. He went through some swing changes last year, and he has really elevated his stock. He struggled first half of last season. And I was saying this in earlier podcasts, and I've even talked about this when I've been on MLB Network. I don't know if there's a player 
that has helped their stock more by playing in the Arizona Fall League this season than what Brandon Marsh did helping his stock with the Angels. So Baseball America has him top 50. Baseball Prospectus has him at 51. MLB Pipeline has him at 79. And this is somebody that had fallen out of a lot of top 100 charts the way that Brandon Marsh was being viewed. So Brandon Marsh is now being widely considered by baseball to being a premier prospect. And he was seen like that a couple of years ago then about a year ago he seemed to have fallen off a little bit and now it seems like the scouts and the people that are responsible for putting lists like this together representing those publications are back on the Brandon Marsh bandwagon I'll tell you what right now I have not stopped being on the Brandon Marsh bandwagon I think he's a really good player um, and I think he's uh, an exceptionally good dude too you know you talk with some people uh, that are scouts and whatnot that pay attention to this kind of stuff a lot of them will tell you Brandon Marsh Marsh may be closer to being major league ready now than even Joe Adele. I mean, in Joe Adele, you know, MLB Pipeline has him as low as six, while Baseball Prospectus has him as high as number two on their list for top prospects in all of baseball. Everywhere Joe Adele has gone, those first couple of weeks have been a bit of a struggle. I mean, that's no secret. It's happened at every level for Joe Adele when he went to high A, when he went to double A ball, we went to triple A ball. And we would have to imagine the same thing is going to happen to Joe Adele when he comes to the major leagues. It's just to be expected. And the you know the jump from high A to double A is probably the biggest jump you'll make in the minors. And then the jump from triple A to the major leagues is arguably the toughest jump that you'll make in your entire life. It's just that good and big league pitchers are that talented and that hard to hit off of. So you know that those struggles will come. The beauty of Joe Adele is every time he's had those struggles, all it takes is a brief adjustment period and he's back on track to tearing the cover off the baseball. So Joe Adele is close to big league ready, but I would expect Joe Adele to have an opportunity to compete for a job as being the Angels' starting right fielder coming out of spring training, but it's not a guarantee. I mean, his strikeout rate was a bit on the high side last year. Joe Adele may need just a little touch of seasoning down in AAA before he comes back up to the major league level. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out, but he's going to be afforded an opportunity in spring training that I am confident in, and if Joe hits the ball well in spring training and earns the job as being the Angels' starting Starting right fielder, well, I think that the Angels are going to let him have that chance. But you talk about two prospects that everybody's wanting. Um, you, you know, who doesn't want Joe Adele? Who doesn't want Brandon Marsh? And that's probably part of the reason why it's so hard for the Angels to be willing to make a trade for a front-end guy because, as far as starting pitcher goes, because you just know how talented these prospects are in Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh. And when I'm talking about Joe Adele having an opportunity to compete for a job on the Major League roster in spring training, and I'm also saying that Brandon Marsh may be closer to big league ready at this point today than Joe Adele is. That just goes to show you how close to the big leagues Brandon Marsh is. The interesting part about the Angels farm system there seems to be a pretty significant gap now a lot of this this past season was out of necessity right 
Griffin Canning came up this past season. I, I, I figured, even going into 2019, I thought we would see Griffin Canning at the big league level. But, you know, it was, I think, premature on Jose Suarez. Probably a little premature on Matt Theis, though he was uh, getting closer to being there. Luis Rangifo, same kind of a thing. You know, guys that came with the big leagues actually had a fair amount of success, but there are a lot of players that I think coming into 2019, you would have said, okay, well, they could actually use a little bit more time, and because of necessity, they ended up playing at the big league level, which can, like we talked about with Fabian in an earlier segment, can do one of two things. Uh, Sometimes that can hamper a player's development, but a lot of times they can get better by having those experiences at the major league level. But it's created... Just an interesting part of the Angels' farm system because of that last season. You have guys like two of them in Adele and Marsh that are pretty close to being major league ready. But then you look on the other side, and there's a big gap and a bunch of guys that are really high prospects that people really believe in that are actually, you know, younger and, you know, fairly far away from getting to the major league level. And I think that's just an interesting place that the Angels are in right now. You know, Jordan Adams getting a lot of attention, 2018 first-round pick. Another outfielder, he's only 20 years old, finished last season in high able. So if you can make a three-level climb in a year, if, if, if there's a way that Jordan Adams can get to AAA by the end of the 2020 season, I would say that's outstanding progress. But I, I don't see a scenario in which Adams is playing in the big leagues in 2020. I, I'm really interested by baseball prospectus having Deshaun Knowles at 99 in the top 101 that they do. But at 99, you know, Deshaun Knowles is only 19 years old. He's from the Bahamas. He's only played as high as rookie ball. It's going to be interesting to see how he continues to develop. But you're talking about two young, really talented prospects in Adams and Knowles who are on their way up, sure, but still are, are, are fairly far away from getting to the major league level. I think that Jeremiah Jackson is probably in like that next group. If there were to be like a 150, I think that's where we'd start to see somebody like a Jeremiah Jackson, and you'd probably see you know more of Adams on the other lists uh, that they weren't listed there. The Angels have good prospects, and they have young guys coming up. It's just they have really two that are close to being in the major leagues now, And then there seems to be a pretty big gap um, because they have a lot of other guys that are really talented, really good prospects, but fairly far away from getting to the big league level. You're going to want to make sure you join us on our next edition of Halo's Hot Stove next week and on the Angels Recap Podcast as well. Mike LaCasa, who runs the minor league system for the Angels, is going to join us on the air. I'm hoping to have Joe Adele and Brandon Marsh on the show as well. So we're working on that at some point before the season begins. We're going to have those guys. At least one of them uh, come on the show. So we'll have that uh, for you. It'll be fun to talk about the future of Angels baseball. But I tell you what, I'm fired up for the present right now. I think 2020 has a chance to be a really great season for the Angels. And we are just getting rolling here. Spring training, pitchers and catchers report just two weeks from right now. And you can start to feel it. That's what I always love about the Super Bowl, too. Like, the Super Bowl is makes me sad because it's like, oh, man, football's coming to an end. But, like, instantaneously, it's like, oh, that means baseball is right around the corner. Baseball is here. That, that's always the feeling I get after every Super Bowl. Because once the Super Bowl is done, it's now baseball's time to shine. And that's what I'm looking forward to most uh, coming up here with pitchers and catchers reporting like any day now, it feels like. 
All right, last thing before I let you go, before you get to spring training, you go to Tempe, Arizona to go see the Halos, you got to make sure you're looking good, right? Hey, stop by the Angels Team Store Monday through Saturday all year long. Shop the best deals and newest merchandise. Visit angels.com slash team store for more information and store hours. So that's going to do it for us here on the Angels Recap Podcast. Hey, thanks so much for joining us this week. And be sure to check out other episodes as well. The last two podcasts are up. Take a listen to our conversations with David Fletcher and Griffin Canning. we got another great show coming up next week. We're going to talk a little bit more about the future of Angels baseball. I'm really excited uh, for next week's podcast. And uh, as soon as we have some official names dialed in, uh, I will make sure that I get those to you guys because I think it's going to be one you will not want to miss miss but like i said go check out some other ones give us a rating a review leave a comment it's much appreciated you know i I love the reviews good or bad i'd love to get a chance to hear from you we want this to be as great of a podcast as possible to help you be as ready to go for the start of baseball season then when the season comes uh we're gonna just fill you in so when you're at the big game when you're sitting with your friends uh yeah you can maybe have a little extra insight that others uh, aren't gonna have and you'll know a little bit more about the players you're seeing on the field uh, Uh, Every time they step up to bat or go to the pitcher's mound, uh, we want you to be as informed as possible. And that's what we're here for. Plus, baseball's fun, right? We're trying to have fun. I know that this was a tough show today. It's been a tough week for everybody. But I appreciate you uh, joining us here on the Angels Recap Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Trent Rush Sports. My name is Trent Rush. Have a great day, and we'll see you later.